Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. CSU Chancellor Joseph Castro has announced he is resigning amid scrutiny over his handling of sexual harassment allegations against an administrator while he was president of Fresno State University. Castro's departure was announced Thursday after the Fresno State Academic Senate, which represents the school's faculty, issued a declaration of no confidence in the chancellor earlier this week. The Senate said the chancellor failed to appropriately address sexual assault allegations against Fresno State's former Vice President of Student Affairs, Frank Lamas. In a statement, Castro said that he disagrees with many aspects of recent media reports and the ensuing commentary, but that resigning at this time is necessary so that the CSU can focus on its mission. California health officials are far from declaring victory over the coronavirus, but they are telling residents we don't need to be so afraid of it anymore. KQED's health correspondent April Domboski has more on the state's latest COVID plan. If the first two years of the pandemic were like driving in heavy rain with worn out brakes and no windshield wipers, then the next phase will be like driving a familiar road in good weather with brand new brakes. That's how Governor Gavin Newsom says we should think about the next variant or surge of the coronavirus. While we can't predict the future, we can better prepare for it. Newsom spoke from a warehouse in San Bernardino, surrounded by boxes and boxes of extra masks. He says California is also ready to quickly ramp up vaccines, testing, and hospital staff when needed. We stand firm and confident uh, as we lean into the future, uh, moving away from a reactive mindset and a crisis mindset. Uh, to living with this virus. Several infectious disease doctors praise the plan, but Stanford's Abrar Karan says it'll be interesting to see how it's executed. How will the governor continue to balance the demands of public health, business, and parents, especially with masks? Our tendency is to want to go back to normalcy or what we had kind of prior to the pandemic. That's not possible. Karan says there is no such thing as a post-COVID world. For the California Report, I'm April Domboski. Some community health clinics in California say they haven't been paid for more than a million COVID-19 vaccine doses they've given to vulnerable residents. As KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, a new state Senate bill aims to shore up funding. Community health clinics have been the backbone of coronavirus vaccination efforts in low-income neighborhoods. Due to a federal funding glitch, the clinics are owed millions of dollars for giving shots to people who use Medi-Cal. The funding delay affects cash flow and, in turn, their ability to attract and retain health workers who can make more money elsewhere. 
Gary Poe is the outreach coordinator at St. John's Well Child and Family Center, a South LA-based community clinic that has provided over 425,000 COVID vaccinations to low-income Angelinos. It's been more than two years and St. John's is still holding the front line, but we're getting to our breaking point and the community need us more than ever now. A bill introduced in the state Senate calls for an overhaul in how community clinics are funded, including $400 million in state funds annually which would unlock millions more in federal matching dollars. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. State Senators Scott Weiner and Lena Gonzalez have introduced a bill that would direct two of the country's largest pension funds, the California Public Employees Retirement System and the California State Teachers Retirement System, to divest billions from fossil fuels. Miriam Ide is with Fossil Free California. These pension funds are attempting to leverage their massive influence by engaging with the fossil industry. But by doing so, they are giving tacit support to these companies and enabling them to continue what they do best, destroy our communities, and delay a transition to clean energy for all. A spokesperson with CalSTRS said its board has committed to an investment portfolio with net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Both pension funds have previously argued that investing in carbon producers allows them to have influence over those companies as shareholders. You've probably heard that a lot of people are quitting their jobs right now. New federal data show that as of November, 4.5 million adults have already left their jobs and joined what's being called the Great Resignation. While we tend to think about how adults are rethinking their priorities, turns out the phenomenon is also affecting teenagers. KQED's Caroline Smith has been looking into this and is here to share more with us. Caroline, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. What did you hear from students here in California? You've probably heard that a lot of people are quitting their jobs right now. New federal data show that as of November, 4.5 million adults have already left their jobs and joined what's being called the Great Resignation. While we tend to think about how adults are rethinking their priorities, turns out the phenomenon is also affecting teenagers. KQED's Caroline Smith has been looking into this and is here to share more with us. Caroline, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. What did you hear from students here in California? The high school juniors and seniors I spoke with said that the pandemic changed how they think about school. They were freshmen and sophomores in March 2020, and it is typical for adolescents to reprioritize things and grow in this period, but they told me it's more than that. These students can draw direct lines from their time spent in isolation, in online classrooms, in the ongoing fear they or their loved ones could become sick, to the students they are now and to what they value. Can you tell me what the day-to-day -day experience was like at the beginning of the pandemic for the students you talked to? Online learning came as a shock. Many students found Zoom school demotivating. Here's one high school senior I spoke with in LA County, Melody Dow. People have lost family members, they've lost friends, and it's just really hard to go through all of that, but then receive a notification on your, on your phone saying, your teacher posted a new math assignment. It's due tonight at 11.59 p.m. It sounds like this brought into sharper focus what's really important for the students you talk to. Is that right? Yeah, for many academic high achievers, the straight A, AP, or IB class takers, they couldn't perform in school the way they used to. 
And when so much of their self-esteem was based on their grades, they felt like their identities were destabilized. One student I spoke with, Ian Sito, described Zoom classes where, the moment class wrapped, around 15 students would just disappear instantly, meaning they'd been hovering over the leave button. And it's not like they had places to be, he told me. They just couldn't take being in class anymore. It was a hard realization to, to realize that I wasn't the student that I was before, and I, I couldn't be as motivated as I was before. And across the board, students had to structure their lives differently during online learning. Many came to realize that their family, friends, and mental health should come before grades. They thought about how much school has shaped their worldviews previously. So some started passion projects, Sito started sewing more often, and Melody Dow started a podcast called Study Break. They realized that they'd rather spend more time on their interests than on striving for straight A's from the classes they weren't passionate about. Did the students get into how this changed their thoughts about the future? Yeah, and this isn't to say that students even stopped working hard in their classes, but as Sito shared with me, for many students, COVID unveiled how life is unpredictable. They reconsidered their planned majors, wanting to pursue subjects that they actually care about, and some even reconsidered college itself. They started debating whether a high tuition would be worth a university experience that could be online. Beyond these shifting values around education and career planning, what else did the students tell you about what they want now? Beyond taking classes that they're interested in and thinking about how much effort to put in, the students I spoke with want their schools to take their mental health concerns seriously and for there to be better structural support. The pandemic made even more visible systemic inequities, conditions that often worsen mental health in the first place. So it's directly because of the pandemic that students are pushing for what they need, both for their physical and mental health. So it sounds like, I mean, do you think it's fair to say that some of this existential stress has been productive? Yeah, I would say so. I feel like the students I spoke with are, while they understand the gravity of this moment, they're also deeply appreciative that they are able to rethink the time they have on this earth with a new lens. Once again, that was KQED's Caroline Smith. Caroline originally reported this story for MindShift at KQED, and you can find the web version at kqed.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. A new system will help Californians track drought conditions anywhere from their backyard to the state level. KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero explains. The tool comes at an important time. January and February are on track to be the driest on California record. The California Water Watch portal gives a range of data including rain, temperature, and reservoir levels. 
Californians can also input their address to find out local conditions. Carla Namath is the director of the California Department of Water Resources. She says even if the entire state is in a drought, It doesn't necessarily mean every Californian has a water supply emergency. That's because each region of the state gets water from different and multiple sources. The goal of the tool is to help residents make better decisions about how they use water. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. And now to a preview of our sister show, The California Report's weekly magazine. This week, host Sasha Coca tells us about a new podcast from our friends at LAS Studios called Imperfect Paradise. The first season of Imperfect Paradise is about the struggle to get unhoused people in Orange County into stable housing. The problem isn't always finding land or money. It's convincing the neighbors. Are you homeless? People hate you going through their trash. You know, you can go get assistance. Like Catherine Reese, a neighbor who films people she assumes are unhoused for her YouTube channel called Fullerton Homeless. Get out of the trash. This is why we work so hard to run you out of our city. A lot of organizations that try to help unhoused people focus on giving out things like food and clothing. But David Galanders, who runs an organization called Pathways of Hope, says that's just putting a Band-Aid on things. Yes, handing out toys to families matters. Yes, everyone's got to eat. But it's literally homelessness. It's not souplessness. You know what I mean? It's not clotheslessness. It's not showerlessness. It's homelessness. Demonstrate for me how homelessness has ended with anything other than a set of keys, a lease, and a place to call home. Golanders led an effort to build permanent supportive housing to get people off the streets in Fullerton, but the city council said he needed to win over the neighbors. And that didn't go so well. I don't want 80 people that need security and mental health services living this close to my neighborhood. We have enough going on with the homeless that are leaving their needles, their drugs, their messes. We are not going to stand by and watch you ruin our neighborhood more and let this come in. We will sue you if something does not happen in Vegas. It will not happen. You can hear more about Imperfect Paradise and the battle over how to address homelessness in Fullerton on this week's Half Hour Magazine from the California Report. Tune in on your public radio station or download the California Report magazine podcast. Protesters held a rally and marched through the Stanford University campus last night ahead of a speech by former Vice President Mike Pence. Pence spoke to a sold-out auditorium of students who listened and at times heckled and booed. Toward the end of his talk, one student asked Pence about President Trump's claim that the former vice president had the power to overturn the 2020 presidential election. I kept my oath, even though it hurt. And... um... We move the nation forward. And I don't know if the president and I will ever see eye to eye on that. I really don't. Pence was invited to speak at the university by the Stanford College Republicans. And that's the California Report for Friday, February 18th, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Keith Mizuguchi, and Azul Dahlstrom Ekman. Our editor is Angela Corral. Our managing editor is Vinnie Tong. 
Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening, and have a good weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs>